Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in high school, it was not uncommon to find me with some of my friends at a local coffee shop or a restaurant having lunch, and we were always arguing about something to do with religion or politics. We didn't agree with each other. We would get kind of heated and yell at each other, but it was all in good fun. We just loved to debate. Well, one day we were at a pizza place, and a good friend of mine, who comes from a very different religious tradition, he was, somehow we'd gotten onto the subject of predestination, okay? Big, fancy, weird word. I think he was Presbyterian. Anyway, any of you know any Presbyterians? So he was trying to convince me and the rest of us that, that God not only knew every single thing that was ever going to happen forever and ever and ever, before it ever happened, but that, in fact, it was God's will or God's choosing. At the very least, God allowed it to happen, if not actually made that plan God's self. Now, to illustrate this to me, out of nowhere, he flicked me in the middle of my forehead. And then he picked up an empty bread basket and placed it on his head. And he said, see, God knew that I was going to do that. And in fact, it was God's idea. To which I said, well, it seems to me that your God is either crazy or cruel or both. But my friend was not totally off the reservation. He wasn't completely far gone. Indeed, that kind of a God who knows everything before it happens and in fact plans for it all to happen, that's kind of the natural conclusion of one of the gods whom we can find and who many of us carry around with us. It's the God I like to call the Omni-God. And you have to say it like that. Omni-God. Okay? You get the picture of you know big guy and a throne up there. It's the one who is described by those big, long omni-words, right? Omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. The God who is all-powerful, knows all things, and is in and uh, there for all things, right? That's the Omni-God. And indeed, you can find traces of that God in Scripture, and I'm assuming most of you have probably heard of that God. But the challenge with the omni-God is that if you scratch the surface a little bit, you can run into some fairly troubling questions. Is it God's will that some people get cancer and other people don't? If God indeed can do all things and knows all things and plans all things, then Where exactly was God when 12 million people were annihilated in the Holocaust? I mean, anyone else wrestle with where the omni-God is to be found when we bump up against cruelty and suffering? Well, here's the deal. While that God is certainly heard and carried around by many of us, it's not the only God that you can find in our scriptures. Indeed, it's not even the main one whom we inherited from our ancestors, the children of Israel. Last week I was in Denver for a conference and I got to hear lots of great lectures and so forth. And one of them was by a a bishop named Will Willeman. He's a preacher and a professor and a bishop in the Methodist church. And he was talking about how there are kind of two main images for God that wrestle with each other in our traditions and in many of our hearts. One of them is the God of certainty 
or certitude, the one who has everything figured out, and if we could just figure it all out, everything would be just fine, right? The God who has everything fixed and sits on a throne and sort of waves a magic wand or moves us around like pieces on a chessboard. He said, you can find that God, but that God was really actually inherited or, or, or sort of pulled into the tradition from Greek philosophy, not necessarily from our ancestors. See, the other image for God, the one that actually dominates the Holy Scriptures, is a God not of certitude or certainty, but rather a God of fidelity, of faithfulness, a God who is in relationship with creation and God's people, a one who is like a a parent, one who calls children together and forms family. And if you have ever been in any kind of a relationship, whether it's marriage or parent-child or friends or co-workers, you know that in order to be successful at being in relationship, in order to be faithful to the promises that you make, you have to be able to move, to change, to compromise, to readjust, to adapt as circumstances and people change. That's what it means to be in relationship. That's the God we find walking through the garden in Eden, wondering where Adam and Eve went. The God who wakes up after Noah and the flood and realizes, boy, that was a really dumb idea. The God who follows God's people through the desert, into and out of and back into the Holy Land, constantly working with them to renew the promises that God has made, because God is faithful. Not always a God of certainty, but one who certainly is faithful. The one who says, I will be their God, and they will be my people, no matter what. And this is the God we find in the eighth chapter of Romans. It would be easy to get kind of lost in the weeds here because of all those big weird words that Paul uses. Those whom he predestined, he also foreknew, and those whom he foreknew, he also called and chose and justified and glorified, etc. It would be easy to assume that the God that that Paul is talking about is the omni-God, right? The God who had it all figured out from the very beginning. But that's not necessarily the God whom Paul places his trust in. That's not the God Paul grew up Worshiping For Paul was deeply steeped in the Jewish tradition, in the scriptures of Israel, in the laws and the stories of Torah. He knew that God who promised to be in relationship no matter what, who calls us children. And those of you who have ever parented or been a part of helping to raise children, you know that you can't, no matter how hard you try, control or predict or manage everything that's going to happen to your child. Things will change. There are forces and circumstances that that you cannot control. But what you do is you promise to love that child no matter what and to be there as things change. You know, a good parent doesn't just give birth to a child and then say, okay, have fun. You're on your own now. But despite the fact that a a parent cannot control, they certainly intervene. They step in to to wipe away tears and to bandage skinned knees and to help give good guidance and to forgive when necessary and to celebrate whenever possible to be there no matter what. And that, that is the God who has claimed and called you. 
one who calls you a child. And Paul drives this home by by talking about children. He gives two very similar images right in the same verse, where first he talks about labor pains, about the process of birthing, as if Paul had any idea what he was talking about. But he talks about the sort of natural way in which a child comes into the world, and that there is some pain and suffering involved in that. And so maybe when there is suffering in the world, maybe it's not a sign that things are coming to an end, but rather something new is being born. And God is covenanting, promising to be there as that emerges, to bring it to life and to nurture it into fullness. And in that very same verse, Paul talks about adoption, the other way, most typically, that children become a part of a family, where one chooses, covenants, promises to raise and to love a child who is not biologically their own. The reason Paul uses these images is because this whole book is about Jews and Gentiles, those who naturally belong to the God of Israel and those whom God has chosen to bring in. But it extends to us as well. Because I defy you to show me any parent of an adopted child who doesn't love their kid as much as someone who loves a child they birthed themselves. The call, the promise, the covenant is the same. This is a God who could not possibly know what we would become, but who promised to be there no matter what. A few years ago, a couple of friends of ours were preparing to welcome their first child. This was before we'd had any kids, and so they were kind of just talking us through what, what they were experiencing. And they told us about uh, one of their previous visits to the midwife. And this was the visit where the midwife tells them all of the different options they have regarding genetic testing, ways that they could find out what particular anomalies or uh, genetic disorders might be a part of their child's life. It's a choice that you're able to make. Now, I want to be really clear here. When it comes to parenting, there are millions of different choices from conception to graduation and beyond, and they're all very delicate and they're all very sensitive and they're all very different, and there's absolutely no judgment implied here about the choice that they made. But I was really fascinated by what they shared with me. They said they really wrestled with whether or not to have any of those tests done, but what they decided ultimately was that they wanted to be parents. They had been planning for this, trying to get pregnant. They were so excited to be parents. And when they decided to become parents, they made a promise that they would love that child no matter what. Before they knew what he or she would look like, or whether it was a he or a she, and whoever really knows. They promised to love that child no matter what they looked like, or what they were good at, or what they were bad at, or what mistakes they would make, or what wonderful triumphs they would do. They had no way of predicting what choices or consequences or things they would face with that child. And maybe knowing that, that they were child were going to have special needs might have helped them to be prepared, but you know what? You can't ever be prepared. Because even if a child is born perfectly healthy, they will eventually be a teenager. (laughs) And there ain't no way to prepare for that. But you love them. And you promise before they're even born to love them forever, no matter what. And at the same time that they were preparing to have their first child, another couple of friends of ours who had been trying to get pregnant for a while had decided to go ahead and adopt Very different situations, and yet, and yet, the substance of what they said was almost identical. 
They said, we don't know what country this child is going to come from. We don't know if it'll be a baby or a toddler or an eight-year-old. We don't know if it's going to have some kind of health problems. We don't know anything about their health history, what they'll look like, what they'll be good at, what they don't like about us. We have no way of knowing. But we have decided that whoever this child is, he or she will be ours. And we will covenant, promise, to love him or her no matter what, no matter what happens. Now, those are some good parents. They have their bad days, too. They're a lot better parents than we are, but, you know, it's hard. It's hard. But how much more so, then, is the love of our God for us, who before God had any idea who you would become, or what you are becoming, made a promise, an everlasting, eternal, enduring promise to love you, no matter what. Through the good, through the bad, through the joy, through the challenge, God promises to love you and to claim you as God's own, come hell or high water. For I am convinced, says Paul, that neither life nor death nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.